Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. So our first guest for the first Cappuccino for 2020 is a nanotechnologist who's also a self-confessed introvert. She has a PhD in biomechanical materials engineering. She also has an MNZM. She's an adventurer. She's a keynote speaker. She's also a TED Talk speaker. She's a best-selling author. She's a science expert for the New Zealand Herald. She's a TV presenter, the co-founder of Nano Girl Labs. She's a stage show host and a producer of that same stage show. She's a podcast host and a producer of that podcast too. She was an honorary academic in engineering at Auckland University. She's the winner of the Women of Influence Award for Science and Innovation. She's also the winner of the Sir Peter Blake Leadership Award, the Prime Minister's Science Media Communication Prize and the New Zealand Association of Science, Science Communicators Award. Uh, she's an adrenaline junkie. She's a kite surfer. She also likes martial arts. She's been very interested in taekwondo and jiu-jitsu. She does mountain biking, and those are just a few of her pursuits. She's even once climbed Kilimanjaro, and she also has an alter ego. My very special pleasure to welcome Michelle, Dr. Michelle Dickinson, a.k.a. Nano Girl, to the Cappuccino. Kia ora. I feel like the podcast is over. Me <laughs> 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 yeah, so Michelle, you know that we do the speed pop quiz hot shot round. So here's your pop quiz. First question. If you could be any other scientist for a day, who would you be and why? So I don't want to be one of those celebrated ones that we know the name of. I want to go back in time to the invention of vaccines. And historians think that vaccines were invented thousands of years ago in China. And smallpox, if you had smallpox, um, somebody decided that it would be a great idea to pick the scab off people who had smallpox, grind it up in a bowl, and then stick it up the nostrils of people who didn't have smallpox to infect them gently so that they would actually be protected for their life. I want to have that job where you're like, I know what mm. I'm going to do today. I'm going to mm. pick the scab off an infected person and put it into a healthy person. Yeah, kids, I hope you're not listening to that. <laughs> that is not a career option today. Uh, what were you crap at at school? What Everything. subject? Everything? Everything. I wasn't very good at school. I didn't do well at school. And um, I didn't. my grades were not enough to get into university. So there's hope for me yet. There's hope for all of us. Bless. Uh, if you were given an honorary PhD from somewhere or somebody... Uh, would you take it? Like maybe something completely different, maybe music or philosophy or something else. Would you Would you take that or like no? No. So so the point of a PhD is you become a world expert in something, and mm -hmm. I definitely picked the right thing with nanotechnology. I love nanotech so much, and it still has so far to go, and it's so science fiction based that I would stick with what I I made the right decision. I would stick with what I love. Yeah. Okay. What has been the biggest fangirl moment in your life? so many fangirl moments meeting cool people who you know I have all the books for so Neil deGrasse Tyson and Sir Richard Branson when I got to work with them I was like ah and then within two minutes I realized that they're totally normal lovely people um, and we build this sense of awe around people who literally are like you and I and just go shopping for milk mm -hmm. and I have to say having met a few people not of that caliber but a few of the really really big ones that they don't even uh, assume that you know who they are they're yeah. just sort of like oh hi my name is yeah totally. that's very cool very humbling um the greatest science scientific invention of your lifetime is what uh, of my lifetime is probably i'm gonna say the the microchip if you think about how we all now carry smartphones in our pocket and they 
are so much more powerful than the computers we use to send people to the moon that's only come from miniaturization of technology so that we can carry it around and I think that has totally changed the way that we access information uh, so hard day at Nano Labs, hard day doing a stage show you've said that you're a self-confessed introvert um, if you have to play some music to chill out what's it going to be? Frank Sinatra all the way bless any favourite song? Oh, how can you? There's, there's so many. Yep. There's so many. Yeah, I'll give you a or Nat King Cole. Yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah, no. Okay, all good. Right. Um, so, self-confessed tricky because you see it pop up in your lectures and some of your talks oh, and everything else. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Speaking so, which, have you seen the new Star Trek Picard? <gasps> no, I'm so a kick man through and through, sadly. So anyway. Um, if you had to make the choice, I know I saw your post the other day with so a big love heart and Picard. And I sent it to my friend who's a massive Picard friend. He's, he's a lady of taste. Um, <laughs> are you science or engineering division? Because you can't be both in the I'm Star Trek engineering. World. I'm hands on. I'll fix the stuff. Can't hold a captain. All right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, born to mum who got married. Mum and dad got married at the age of 18 years of age, both with no quals. Mum worked in bars. Dad worked in the RAF learning um, electrical engineering. And you have said that you spent most of your childhood basically pulling toasters apart and everything <laughs> yeah. else. And Dad would bring your stuff home and everything else. What was your childhood like? My childhood was great. You only know what you know. Um, and so I grew up moving a lot. We, my dad was a military man, so we moved every two to three years. And we moved countries a lot. I moved schools a lot, which I loved because it was norm- normal. And I think I met lots of different kids of different cultures and um, different identities very young. So I learned how to make friends very quickly. And um, we didn't, because I didn't have academic parents, I didn't grow up with books in the house, I wasn't read to at bedtime. However, I did have, you know, electrical circuits and thing, electronics open all the time that my dad was tinkering as he was learning. And so what I thought was normal for an eight-year-old was to be sitting around resoldering some sort of circuit. And that was my play. Mm. It's only now I'm older I realise that not eight, every eight-year-old daughter um, has that in their in their playground. And PhDs are so you're still breaking stuff. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I saw your. Mic- I'm just not getting grounded for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I saw your uh, Microsoft talk where they mm-hmm. basically said, "Come in and pull the surface apart." Isn't it great? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> and that yeah. was the first surface it had ever been in New Zealand, and I took it apart. Yeah. They weren't um, even available yeah. to the public. I can yeah. imagine the looks in people's faces. <laughs> uh, so you wanted to be a superhero when you were a kid. And yeah. I'm an avid comic book fan. Yeah. But that is not a very common thing for girls, neither is playing video games either. And for me, that is because there's a complete lack of female characters. Totally. Um, so what heroes, what comic book heroes inspired you and why when you were a little girl? I really love the story of Batman. And the reason being is that he was a mere mortal who built solutions in his Batcave. And I thought, huh, I can do that. It was really hard to aspire to be like Superman because I couldn't fly. Um, whereas with Batman, he would, he would just build something yeah. and fly. It was uh, cool. That explains the cave hole you've got to drive into <laughs> to get to nanogills. Yeah. Uh, I know I am. Uh, so engineers in university tend to have a little bit of a reputation slash stereotype, it would be fair to say. Yeah. I say that as an art student. Um, how did you find engineering at university when you went? Oh, the stereotype was there and I stuck up like a sore thumb for sure. Yeah. yeah the, and the stereotype is there for a reason. And to be honest, it's still there. Yeah. Um, so I found it challenging, um, you know, there were very few females, um, we had to walk miles to go to the bathroom even, they just hadn't thought about even putting a female bathroom in the building, you know, yeah. lots of things that just hadn't been thought about before, so I really struggled. The thing I struggled with the most 
was that I didn't know at the time, but I was a kinesthetic learner, meaning that I learn with my hands or by doing things. And I found university really theoretical. You'd sit and listen to some man, it was always a man, mm-hmm. with tweed around his elbows. Yes, yep. Derive some equation about some theory. And I was like, I just, I don't know what this means. Like, just let me build it and break it and I'll understand it. So I probably struggled for a couple of reasons. One, being a bit lonely, being, you know, one of the only females. And two, just it wasn't the way my brain learned. And you don't have any tweed in your wardrobe either, do you? I have no tweed. Yes, good work. So, nanotech. And I'm going to do this because all the interviews I see, people go, oh, explain nanotechnology to me. And it's like, do you ever get sick of it? No, I love it. Because it's such an amazing thing. And you open up this whole new world to people that they didn't even realize they were touching all the time and help their things to get smarter. So, it means small and a width of a single hair is, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, 80,000 nanometers uh, wide. Yeah, so yep. depending on, you know, if yep. you're Asian, your hair is slightly thicker, it's 110,000 nanometers, but basically anything in nanotech is probably around 100,000 times smaller than the width of your hair. Why is there always this obsession with nanobots? The second you talk nanotechnology, everybody goes, oh, nanobots. Hollywood. Yeah, it is, eh? It's just Hollywood. We don't teach it in any context at school. We only teach it in movies and yeah. sci-fi books. Yeah. And so nanobots, I think, are what people have always been afraid of. You know, this rogue nanobot going into your brain, taking over your thoughts. And Hollywood has loved that. Science fiction has loved that. So that's sort of what we know. Now, to be fair, you say that Hollywood's done that. But I know that when, again, because I've watched some of your talks, that Prey by Michael Crichton was one of your favourite books. So. What converted me. Yeah, and, and he wrote Jurassic Park. So he's got a real interesting mind about science and that what would happen if. And I read that thinking, huh, nanobots could actually be super cool. <laughs> so that's how I got into nanotech. Do you think that nanobots eventually could become a possibility like yeah. in those science fiction bots? 100%. 100%. We're a long way <laughs> off. We've got to figure out how to get them to move and how to power them. But there are primitive types of nanobots now that help with drug delivery, for example, that we coat them on the outside so they're only attracted to a certain type of cell in your body. So for cancer, for example, we can get little nanoparticles to attach with the drug to specific cells in your body. And I think that's really exciting. So nanobots right now don't exist in a form that they can move by themselves, yeah. but they definitely exist in a form in that we can get them to the right place in your body. So I'd be fair to say we're still probably at least six to eight weeks plus away from nanobots taking over At least brain. six to eight weeks. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, customer question. Is nanotech really going to be the future of mainstream science? It already is. You just don't know it. I think if you look at you know how small your electronics have got, that's only occurred due to nanotechnology. So even over the last 15 years, if we've miniaturized our devices um, in medicine, like it's already existed. We just, we don't call it that anymore. We just say, oh, this is science. Yeah. We don't label which part of it. So I think it's really changed even what we have access to today. What do you think in the next sort of, because I know that um, being a scientist, you get to see all these amazing things first before anybody even starts to think about them. Well, before the general populace thinks about them, what do you think is going to be the next big sort of piece of nanotech that makes people go, ooh? I would like it to be battery technology. Yep. Energy on this planet is a real struggle. And one of the struggles is not that we can't make enough energy, it's that we can't store it in ways that we can use it later. And even if you think about how often you have to plug your smartphone in these days because your screen is sucking the power, mm-hmm. um, I think if we can... And, and lithium-ion is, is one of the ways to go, but nanotechnology is really advancing how we can store energy more efficiently. And I think that will change a lot of things. Yeah, it definitely will. So not content with just being a nano 
mechanical engineer. You decide to give yourself a superhero alter ego as well, eh? It wasn't me, so it was given to me by some eight-year-olds in East Auckland when I went and did a school visit. And they're like, oh, you're doing all these superpowers of science, you need a superhero name. I'm like, okay. And so they said, you should call yourself Nano Girl. And it sort of just stuck. So I have to thank some (laughs) eight-year-olds. When they said it, did you think, oh my god, I'm going to be sort of stuck in lycra in a cape for the rest of my life if ever I do any nano-girl appearances? Well, I I never thought this was going to be a thing. I was just visiting schools for free on my own time, just trying to get kids excited about science. I never, ever thought this would, the way it went, would happen. I just thought I was going to be a boring academic and ever so often I'd visit a school and nobody would know about this nano-girl thing. Yeah, next moment. <laughs> yeah, that's what Clark Kent thought about Superman as well, just quietly. Now, like all superheroes, you've got a weakness, right? Oh, so many. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, well. Let's just talk about the big one that you publicise, yeah. and, and you do lots and lots of videos. So, if you are an introvert, I'd suggest you go onto YouTube and you have a look at Michelle's amazing talks on how to do public talks or um, speeches for introverts because they're amazing. Um, just because there's no such thing as the perfect superhero, I guess. Yours is public speaking. Yeah. Right? How did you? conquer it or how do you how do you manage it have you conquered it now no so manage it is very is definitely the right word I have not conquered it and and I think that's a good thing I think Mm -hmm. if you are still nervous going into something it makes you work hard for it and make sure that you're prepared for it you don't just turn off and go oh I'm just going to say this thing so I sort of like I think it is my my weakness but also my superpower because it means that if I do give a talk people know that I've put six months of work into really thinking about the detail that goes into it um and so I love talks by introverts. I, you know, Steve Jobs. I love his talks. Mm-hmm. He's a severe introvert. <laughs> but when you look at his talks, he has it's so there's so much depth there because he's done what I've done, which is put a lot of preparation into it. So I've learned managing skills, which is for me, don't eat before you go on stage. I've learned um, when it comes to the fight or flight response. Mine, mine is to vomit. <laughs> <So> <laughs> if I eat before, yeah. I definitely vomit on stage, which is never a good look. Yep. So I have some things that I do. I listen to quiet music before I go on to reduce my heart rate because I'm very nervous. Yep. Um, and I prepare like I never do something that I haven't prepared for. And I never talk about things that I don't actually know anything about. Yeah. Um, now, apparently, true story or not, if we see the curtains moving at Victor Arena just before <laughs> a Nano Gill live show, the chances are that there may be somebody who looks remarkably like you with a PhD. Yeah. Sometimes you wrap yourself in, in the it, curtains to just sort of... I have, I have done that more than once. Theatres are great because they have these really thick black furry curtains that are soundproof. And I found if you just wrap yourself like like you were wrapping yourself in a carpet into them, you're in this dark, silent <laughs> place where you can just catch your breath. So yeah, that'll be me. I need to lend you a waiting blanket, I think. <laughs> uh, so you frequently tell your audiences, both kids and adults, to accept that failure is going to be a big part of being successful. Yeah. So embrace change and don't be afraid to try something new. Totally. When's the last time you failed? <laughs> All the time. Yeah. All the time. Um, so we were just testing some things with um, with a new Nana Girl product that we were about to launch. And I had a bunch of kids come in and test it for me. And I, what I thought was an amazing set of science experiments, they were like, nah, mm. it's way better if we do it this way. And I was like, oh, my product is terrible. <laughs> and you gave me the insight into why it was broken and also how to fix it, and I, I love that kids do that. Yeah, and kids are really a great leveler of that as well, because if you've got an experiment or you want to do a show or something, you show them, and they go, yeah, maybe not, Michelle, that's not so cool. They're totally. just, yeah, PhD or whatever aside, they're just straight for the jugular. 
Linda, raise confidence in science and engineering. You create you found NanoGill Labs yeah. in 2016. And then if that wasn't enough to keep you busy, you then co-author number eight recharge too. Yeah. So what were the first days of NanoGill Labs like? Because it must have just been like when you come up with a concept yeah. and people go, yeah, she's finally, it's finally happened. She's cracked. She's broken herself as well. People thought I was nuts. But I mean, everybody thought I was nuts because I had a really secure job. Mm-hmm. When I was working at Auckland University, I had a, you know, fully tenured, which is, means that they really can't fire you, job. Yeah. <laughs> um, in an engineering department with a great team of students and I it was a really prestigious job that had security and lots of people in life think that security is what we need so you know you can pay your bills and I just remember thinking I am ready for the there's something I need to do something different I'm not teaching the kids that I'm trying to get to they're not even getting close to getting into university there's a whole bunch of New Zealanders who through no fault of their own don't get access to science education and don't get access to science role models. And I just felt like I kept complaining about it. And I was like, somebody needs to do something. And I'm like, I am somebody, (laughs) I should probably do something. And so quitting having a salary to set up something that was totally bonkers really when you think about it, um, was was a time where I said, and I think growing up having a very transitional life was what gave me the confidence to just quit the security and try something totally new, which is to build basically a company that, you know, is all about helping everybody to have equal access to learning. And so the first year was nuts because no salary, living off my savings, yeah. not sure if I can even make money from it, not sure even if this is a thing because it was a bit of a hobby that I was yeah, doing. Yeah. And then just being like, well, you know what, I'll try it for a few years and if it doesn't work, I'd have burnt my savings and I'll look back and I'll apply for a job. Yeah, and I'll embrace that tweed wardrobe as it creeps up on me slowly and the strange thing is now that you have actually gone and probably become New Zealand's most I'm gonna say famous but for want of a better word most famous scientist you like people always see you and they go oh it's that it's that science lady or you know as my son says it's the smart girl (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. so yeah uh, which I guess is kind of a little bit like the number eight recharge book that you wrote exactly so there's a strange sort of synergy there I guess then remembering you've got a weakness when it comes to public speaking, you decide just after you've done sort of Nano Gill Labs to, to take Nano Gill live <laughs> on the road and create a live show that was both yeah. entertaining and educational. Yeah. It's, uh, and I quote, can have fire exp- and explosions and buildings and a female scientist lead. Um, how that's all really, really important stuff there because one, it's a female lead. Yeah, which, which don't and it's the of. only science show in the world that has a female lead. Yeah. Yes, the live one. Yes, yeah. long may that continue. And how nervous were you when it, you started off? Because I know from my days as Brian and Bobby, the first 15 or 20 shows, like, I remember turning around to Bobby and Bobby literally saying to me, well, if I don't make it out alive, at least you might. Yeah, uh, it's terrifying, isn't it's it? It's terrifying. And we're four years in now and it's still terrifying. And I, I go back to that. I think it's a good thing that it's terrifying. It yep. means you're always on your game. And it's so rewarding too, because at the end of the show, you've got through it, but not only have you got through it, because I meet all the kids at the end, we do free selfies with every child that wants to, mm-hmm. and their stories of the impact that it made is what drives you on to do it again the next day. Have you had yet, oh no, you've only been doing it for years, so it might not happen. I'm telling you now, as one, uh, this is completely incorrect, but as one child entertainer to another child mm-hmm. entertainer, your greatest moment will come, and I've had it happen to me when they come up to you and say, 
Hi, Dr. Michelle, you don't recognize me, but I have actually got a PhD myself and blah, blah, blah. That's So that's I'm getting my that right now where they're, they're starting in their first year of university. And so awesome. That's just great so you stuff. know, I thought I was going to do music, but now I'm doing engineering. Yeah, that is awesome. So rewarding. Is it true that all of us came about because you saw Mythbusters, because you're a fangirl? That yeah. wasn't, you Because know, they blow stuff up. Yeah. Uh, in Australia, when I read your blog about yeah. it, you kind of sounded a little disappointed they I got was, rid of Katie yeah and then you were kind of reminded that they were just special effects guys and they had like an amazing special effects show um, and when you spoke to some of the kids afterwards they were like yeah cool but not yeah so I'm going to tell you the honest moment was I flew to Melbourne because Mythbusters weren't going to come to New Zealand and I was such a big fan of their show so I flew to Melbourne to watch their show their live performance and it was it was you know it was fine but they didn't do live explosions or they thought they would they showed a lot of videos of the tv show that i'd already seen but the worst one was they had this live experiment up on stage where you had to remember the old fairground you had a hammer a mallet and you had to hit something and then it would you try and get the thing to yep. bing to the top yep. they had that and they gave a hammer to a little girl and a hammer to her, her dad and when she the scales for where, how close you were to the top the bottom scale was hit like a girl. Ooh, ouch. And I took a photo of it. And I was like, you have a little girl on stage here with two of her role models, and she is going to achieve the lowest, which is hit like a girl. And you have just reinforced that stereotype, and you should know better. And I got so <laughs> cross. And I took a photo, and I was like, how do we do something for little girls like that? And having no theater experience ever, I was like, we're going to build a show. <laughs> Let's do it. So, so you said after it, uh, I'm a scientist who's passionate about education and communication and being a female role model. Um, how important is it for you? Because I know that, again, we have the same issues with Brian and Bobby as well, that you get the mix of education and entertainment just right. Because I know that there'll be lots of parents who come along to your show and think, wow, this will be a good hour and a half's entertainment for my children. Yeah. But you actually want it to be about education, don't you? We call it edutainment. Yeah. And we know we've got the balance right every show because, number one, that you hear the kids roaring with laughter and you hear the parents trying not to roar with laughter because they're trying to keep their, their cool, but they think it's funny too. There is a real balance, but we think, you know, we work hard. We've got writers behind the, the scenes mm -hmm. who really work on that. It was so funny that you learned something. Yeah. I'm still going to see if I can wangle an invite to come on stage as well and do an experiment with you. Sure. All right. Uh, so being a positive female role model, which you are, uh, it's very important to you, as it should be, that you're a strong advocate for women. And there's been lots of uh, campaigns that you've been involved with yeah. and incidences where people have tried it on for size. You can tell that they've tried it on for size. Totally. Uh, there's the famous ransom comment that you had on yeah. TV, yep. Uh, and promo girls being snuck into expos and you stood up for that, yeah. It's important, I think, if you have a public voice to use it for good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that people just keep doing it? Because it's like, like I'm an ex-rugby front row thrower, yeah. and I know, even I know, come on, play the game, let's just tweet, treat everybody with respect here, but you still get people trying it on. I don't, do you know, I think there's a, some people do it deliberately, but I think a lot of it is just naivety. I had this really interesting comment with my husband recently. My husband is white and privileged and grew up, you know, in that whole, oh, boys will be boys club. And he, he had a behavior recently where he, he saw something and then 
he, with a, a male and a female, and it was a younger female, and he shrugged it off as, oh, that was a stupid thing for that guy to do, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, not only was that stupid, they're, they're, that girl was in potential danger, and he just didn't even dawn on him that that was a situation, because he saw it from his young boy's mm-hmm. point of view, which is, oh, we've all done silly things. And I said, whoa, 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 stop. Sit in the mindset of that young girl and look at how it looked from her perspective. And he's like, oh, I would have been petrified. And I said, and here's the challenge. We tend not to see it from other people's perspectives. We tend to just judge it from our own experience. And I think that's where the danger lies. I don't think it's deliberate a lot. I think it's just what we've grown up with. What's been your worst experience as a female scientist? Because I'm betting that there's been some. Oh, I can't even tell you some of them. I, I bet. But yeah. I bet there's been times when you turned up and they've said, oh, where's Dr. Dickinson? That, oh, there's been so there's been that there's been times that I've turned up to run meetings and they and I've been the only female in the room and they've been like oh are you here to take the notes and I'm like no I'm here to take the meeting um you know just those assumptions via looking at my face that I'm obviously here as a secretary not as the lead um but also the way you know being spoken to in certain derogatory like there's a lot of challenges still in the field that is very male dominated where people assume and so I'm a qualified engineer so engineering meetings are even I think sometimes more challenging than science because there's even fewer females there do you ever worry or or wonder about overextending yourself as a pseudo-celebrity scientist do you know what's really interesting is what New Zealand doesn't see is what we're doing behind the scenes. So there are, we are building the company, there are nano girls in different countries. Yep. So we have an Arabic nano girl for the Middle East, we have a Chinese nano girl in China and Singapore. And what we do is not about building me, it's about creating a space so that we can create a million smart, amazing, positive role models in the STEM field. And there just, I don't think was the, the safe space for that to happen before. But our goal is just to open the floodgates and actually have everybody be amazing in this field so that we kids can look up like they do to rugby players. How many rugby players are there out there that kids look up to as celebrities? I want to create that for science and technology. I want kids to grow up being like, I want to be like Dr. So-and-so or whatever. And so I think right now we haven't seen that space be filled with so many. Mm -hmm. But I think hopefully a few years from now, You'll just assume that just like we can have as many rugby player celebrities as we want, we can have as many scientists celebrities as we want. Do you get people um, who maybe aren't science savvy uh, come up to you and say, hey, Dr. Michelle, can you tell me how you think we're going to solve coronavirus and stuff like that? I, I mean, that must happen quite I get, a bit. Uh, I probably get uh, more than 100 emails a week from members of the public who trust me to say, how do we do this? What is going on with that? And this, it's all out there. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really lucky that I have a, a group of friends who are experts in lots of different things that I can refer them to and say, hey, do you know what? It's not my field, but here is Dr. So-and-so, and I'm just going to send this email through. So part of my role is just as a, a connector of the public to scientists that they may not know about or have heard of before. Yeah. Um, you have said that there is a need for evidence-based communicators. It's it's crucial to help battle an endless stream of non-scientist celebrities and there are lots of them about that get paid to endorse products and opinions about scientific concepts how important is it to you to continue to be that gatekeeper because there are lots and lots of celebrities who are just they come up and they develop a product or they're paid fifty thousand dollars to sort of say if you drink this drink you'll lose 50 kgs within six weeks yeah It is not my role to be the gatekeeper. My whole goal is to help increase scientific literacy within the public. So how do I help you 
to Google the ingredients yeah. before you buy something. Yeah. That's my whole goal. And so I start these conversations to make people think about that. But our bigger goal is to increase scientific literacy so that you have the power to make your own decisions. Mm -hmm. You once said, I'm sure I've lost all credibility in the academic community by targeting children, but I don't care. Touche for the police. Uh, I know I'm a good scientist. Nanogill is just a hobby, and I do it because I feel it's important to create a science literate society. Yeah. So and do you know that comment came from? There was an academic I was working with, and he came up to me and he said, Hey, Michelle, if you like working with school kids so much, why don't you just quit and become a school teacher? Oh. And I just, that summed up what many people around me were thinking. Yeah. And I just thought, wow. And it really hurt, but it also made me realize the challenge in the hierarchical system that is the reason why academics don't talk to kids. Now, I've got to say, why is that there? Because I remember going to, when my wife was at Auckland Uni, I went in and brought a book there. I was at Teachers College, and I was going to Police College. And anyway, the book I brought was uh, The Science Behind Indiana Jones's Greatest Adventures, right? Yes. I thought, this would be a good bus stop read. And I got it, and as I got it, all the sellers behind the counter went, holy, I didn't realise we had this book. Why is there that continued sort of snobbery, almost, mm -hmm. uh, with academia and what you are doing, for instance? It's like, you know, if you can show a kid how to drive a shopping trolley with a fire extinguisher yeah. and then give them the... Surely that's a cool thing. Well, I'm going to say something that's a little bit controversial, but in my time in academia, what I found is that academia is hard to get to mm -hmm. and so you tend to come from a certain background to get into the system mm -hmm. and because I there I don't know any other people who failed high school mm -hmm. and then got a PhD and became an academic there were no people that I worked with that were like that and so I think we go back to experiences my experiences and, and the things I saw around lower socioeconomic and low education in parents made me see the lack of opportunities for kids like me to be able to go to university. I think when you're in the system and you've never, not only never experienced that, but maybe you've had a more privileged private school upbringing, you don't see that there's a challenge out there that can be fixed. You just think that, oh, well, they're not here because they're not good enough. And I came across that attitude a lot. And I think it the lack of diversity in the academic system that means that you're not seeing some of the challenges because they've never existed to you. And it's a big reason why I'm trying to do what I do because I would love the pipeline to be more diverse mm -hmm. so that kids like this, kids like me, who would never have thought about going to university, get the opportunity to not only go, but then be great role models themselves for kids like them. Yeah, and look, let's be honest, if I told you at the age of eight that you could be a superhero and have a PhD, you would have gone... No way. Crazy, Mr. Police Officer. Totally nuts. <laughs> yeah. um, why is it so important to you that kids are science literate? It's so important to me that everybody's science literate, but I think starting with kids, you really build that relationship with science for life. And the reason being is that the world is full of all sorts of lotions and potions and things. If we look at the anti-vaxxing movement right now, a lot of that is coming from people just not understanding and not trusting science because it's so far removed from their day-to-day -day life they just think well this is too hard it's not for me and then conspiracy theories can, can happen <laughs> but if we can build that relationship from from a young age and it's a positive relationship hopefully that allows you when you're older when you're making bigger decisions about your life to make to decisions that you can use your judgment on um, when I talk to adults now I, and I say the word science to them they always refer back to something that happened in school mm 
So that relationship you get with science in school really shapes you for the rest of your life, in my opinion. What would you say to the person that doesn't get science listening now? The person that doesn't know a periodic table from potassium... It doesn't matter. Protons. Who needs... Like, I'm not being funny. No, no, no. It's but right. nobody yeah. needs... The, I mean, there are some people who need the periodic table, but the majority of us, it just doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. You just... You know, understanding the atomic weight of plutonium. Like, no, like, there are some people who care. Most of us don't care, and yet it's forced onto us in yeah. science education at school, and I would love to see science education be much more applied to help you make decisions in life but it's like lots of things in school, you know, I'd love financial literacy to be taught. Mm -hmm. I think there are, there are lots of cycles that we can break by tweaking the education system to be more applied. Maths. When you did maths at school, nobody cared because you were like, why am I rearranging this equation? I've got to be honest, and I'll, I still to this day look at Trig and go, what the... <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So then one day after one of your sort of shows, a mum gives you a cupcake and she yeah. says... She wishes that you could teach her kids science, but she's not very sorry. She's not very good at science herself. And then you've got the brainwave to go and create a science cookbook because you needed more work, didn't you? Yeah. It was one of those light bulbs moments, you know, when a when a mum who was desperate to help her kids learn about science, but she again had a negative relationship with science at school and so didn't think she could do science, and yet had just given me this cupcake that she had baked, which was beautiful, which is totally scientific. Mm. You can't make great cupcakes unless you understand the science of baking. And I just thought, you're using these words that say you aren't, and yet you totally are, and you don't see it. How can I empower you as a parent to realize that you are the best teacher for your kids, not me? And I thought, I'm going to try and show you by showing you in a way that doesn't use the science words, but uses what you think are, you are comfortable with, which is baking soda yeah. and flour. And so, yeah, it was a lot of work, and it was totally nuts. Um, and we, we shipped it out to some publishers who were like, nah, it'll never, nobody will buy a book like this, you're nuts. And so we just did it on our own. Next moment, bestseller. That's a cannon, yeah. So over 200 recipes, cold to 50 for the first edition, over mm. 2,000 families worldwide yeah. test each experiment, and then you kickstart it uh, yourself and raise over $85,000 to get the launch away. Yeah. Uh, what was that like when that finally happened? That must have been amazing. <laughs> you must have been like, if I get like six grand here, I'm going to be really oh, lucky. Yeah. Do you know, I was, I couldn't believe how many people not only wanted to buy the product, but saw that this could be the product that helped them to be the parent that they felt like they wanted to be. And what was really important to me, so 200 recipes, they were all amazing. We culled it to 50 for a very specific reason. And that's, I sent it to single parents. And I said to single parents, can you test this recipe and tell me what ingredients you don't have or you don't know? And so the 50 that remained were all single parent tested that they were cheap and they were available in their pantry right now. Because I never wanted a book that had those fancy ingredients yeah. that you just never had. No. And I never wanted a book that had ingredients that were so expensive that you felt like you couldn't afford to put into it. And so that initial testing was crucial to me to say, I want low income families to see this book and go, I can do this too. And so we built the book with a one-for-one -one model so that for everyone we sold, we donated one so that those families also felt included in this. Yeah, because I think everybody's bought a recipe book where they've opened up the recipe book and gone, holy, I'm <laughs> going to have to buy a brand new pantry. Here we go. Yep. And so you never do it, right? No, you you just leave it on the side no. and you never do it. So like you say, not only did you kickstart it, but you uh, offered a buy one, gift one to kids. You yeah. donate 20% of your income to chosen charities too. Yeah. 
So from somebody who sees a number of those kids all around the country that you're influencing and that you are a superhero to and inspiring, thank you very much for what you do. Thank you for what you do. Ah, uh, no, it's all good. Now, question. Yeah. Is there going to be a second edition? I've had about three or four people go, is she going to do another one? Ask her if she's going to do another one. So I'm like, <laughs> if I put you on the spot, you can just say no comment. Uh, so, look, there we have enough recipes for another one. Making a book is a lot of work, but let's just say that it's not out of the question. All right. So that means that the light bulb is <laughs> kind of dim, but if you... I'm sure if you ask Nana Gilsled enough and sent them enough emails. I tell you what we won't do. We won't self-publish it again. That was a lot of work. So if we do another one, we'll do it with the publisher. We'll actually have a whole bunch of other people who can help out. But yeah, we, we might be testing some recipes yeah, for version won't, two right you now. Won't, you won't have to because the publishers will come knocking, <laughs> and so they should. Uh, one of the biggest uh, issues, and I had a friend of mine, a lady called Dr. Fiona Penwa, who did her PhD on the 25 key fears of... New Zealand children mm. one of them was obviously climate change yeah. so do you think as a scientist it's too late no it's never too late it's no? never too late okay. I think we are I think we have some really big challenges and we need to make some really big shifts in our behavior but it's never too late okay so when I um, met here we go this was a bit of a name drop National Geographic photographer Joel Sartori he does a thing called the photo arc where he goes around and takes pictures of soon to be extinct animals so that at least we've got a record of them he said to kids the best thing you can do is actually not worry about the rest of the world but actually to take care of your own backyard first yeah. so start composting uh, look at things and go hmm do I really need that is that really going to be working in three or four years time what advice would you give to, to kids and adults who maybe look at uh, Greta Thunberg for instance and go well, it's all too hard. I just, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. So we're we're actually really focused on this right now at Nanago Labs and actually building a climate platform for young people. There's this thing called um, eco anxiety, which is really hitting mm -hmm. young people. Where Greta is telling them the world is ending, and they're like, it's all it's all on us, and we don't know what to do. So I definitely believe that children realizing and young people realizing that they can make small changes, and it may not seem like a lot to them. If you multiply that by the millions of kids out there also making small changes, actually there's significant change that can happen. And we're seeing it all the time. Kids are now refusing to have their lunch boxes packed with certain types of things. Yep. That behavior shift is gigantic. And so actually I think it's not too late. And the people who are going to change this are children. And children's peer pressure on their parents to not accept things that they think are bad for the environment and not accept behaviors. Yes, it's easier to drop your kids off than walk because it takes a little bit more time. But actually, I think children are really powerful to say, I don't want to go in the car today. Let's get up a bit earlier and walk. Mm. Those are the big things that we can change. And I really have hope for our kids. I don't want to put too much pressure on them. But I think the tiny behaviors that they are modifying in their parents that they might not even realize they're doing are really changing the way we behave with certain types of materials and, and driving our cars. Let's face it, 10 years ago, if you took a keep cup to a cafe, you were probably going to be labelled as a hippie, weren't you? And oh, now if you okay. don't take one, everybody yeah, so, looks at you. <laughs> yes, look out, you're going to... Mm. So, the question that we always end the podcast with is this. It's the day of reckoning uh, for Dr. Michelle Dickinson, and there'll probably be a little plaque that's with underneath that says, aka Nano Girl yeah. underneath it as well. And strangely enough, while you're lying there, you can actually hear somebody delivering your eulogy. 
What would you want the world to say about you when you are sort of there but gone, if you know what I mean? Oh, I'd prefer it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, she, I mean, I hope that people say that she followed her passions and she did not only what she loved but what she felt was important. And if I had one tagline for, you know, what people would hopefully say that I helped to do, that would be I helped young people to realize that they're creators of technology, not just consumers. And if I can do that, I'm good. I'm You're a winner. Yeah, not wrong. And will there be an explosion at the end? Always. Yeah, yeah, I'm on. going out with a massive yeah. bang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, still sneaking for an invite. You can light me on fire at stage, <laughs> though. It's all good. Right, so if you want to follow you on social media, because I know that you've got a very proactive social media team, what's the best places for us to follow? <laughs> you say it's a team. It's me. I know it's mobile. you. I know it's. I was trying to hype it up. No, we yeah, do. Yeah, we yeah. do have a lovely. We yeah. have a new marketing person who's yeah. coming to to help out. So, um, how do we follow? you on social Look, media. Look, follow Nana Girl Labs because that's where we publish all the things that we think are hopefully helpful to parents um, and, and give them insights into how to help to have these conversations with their kids. So Nana Girl Labs on, on all of the channels, the Facebooks, the Instas, the, um, that's probably the easiest way. Or you can follow me personally on LinkedIn for more businessy, businessy things. Stuff. Yep, yep. Um, but yeah, I'm we just throw stuff out there. I don't know. At some point, we're going to have a unified plan around social, but right now ah, it's, that's all good. it's yeah, ad hoc like, Michelle on her phone. And if you've got no idea what we've been talking about, or you think to yourself, I'd really like to see one of uh, Nano Gill's shows, then you can go onto YouTube because there's a couple yeah. of them up there. We put them up there. There's another one uploading soon. So the reason why we do that is we know that not every child can afford to come to a theatre show. We try to do that. And so we upload all of our shows for free on YouTube after the event so that if you couldn't make it due to financial reasons, it's there. And I've got to say, they are way more impressive if you Chromecast or Apple TV them. <laughs> the bangs are bigger on TV. I watched one of them on my phone and sat there and went, oh, okay then. And then I'm like, I think I've got to watch this on TV to do it justice. And I was like, yeah, now I get it. It's in stereo and it's with a real yeah. bang. So, yeah. so um, thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for all you're doing. Uh, because, you know, like I said, I get to see a lot of those kids. I'm an ex-South Auckland cop. And to hear kids talk about science because this crazy lady's got this idea to blow stuff up yeah. is pretty cool. Um, and when I tell them that they're, you are also a doctor, it's hilarious because the first thing they think of is a doctor of medicine. Of course. Um, but I'm like, no. And that's what I would have thought about when I was there. Yeah. Age. Yeah. So I do have to say, I have actually shown them a picture of like chief engineer Montgomery Scott and you and sort of said, look, they're almost the same, yeah. but not sort of quite. But she could do almost everything he does and then some. So yeah. yeah. So uh, from one tricky to another, live long and prosper. Thank you. Thank you. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.